Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, why are people into that, listeners? Tina Horn here, reminding you that April is spring shower season at the Pleasure Chest. To celebrate all things fluid... PleasureChest.com is offering 15% off all G-Spot vibrators April 19th through April 28th. This month's featured brands on PleasureChest.com are Vibratex and Chakrubs, so you can shop online for sweet savings on some classic vibrators and crystal dildos curved just right to put the pressure where you like it best. The Pleasure Chest has been keeping you sweaty and satisfied for nearly 50 years. Follow Pleasure Chest on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates on squirt-centric workshops and soaking wet discounts. To find out more, visit their stores in New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago, or check out PleasureChest.com. Spring 2019 is officially sprung, and now on with the show. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Tina. How does it feel to be on Why Are People Into That? I'm so excited. As a longtime <laughs> listener, I'm very pleased to be here. That makes me feel really good. See, there's like no, it's all community. There's no differentiation <laughs> between fans and guests and uh, listeners and speakers. It's all just like one big slutty yes. mess. Yes. Andrea Glick, LMSW, which stands for Licensed Master of Social Work, or do you prefer Mistress of Social Work? Oh my god, yes, Mistress of Social Work. Awesome. (laughs) So Andrea Glick is a psychotherapist, somatic healer, sex educator, and witch. Love it. So many witches on this day show. (laughs) Andrea specializes in treating trauma and PTSD for queer and trans folks using body-based and feminist therapy practices to help clients come home to themselves. That is so beautiful. Mm, Andrea practices at the Gender and Sexuality Therapy Collective in New York City and I am so thrilled to have you here. How are you? I'm so good. I'm very happy to be here, too. I love your Eileen Warnos I'm with her shirt. <laughs> Thank you. Really, really appreciate that. Femifesting her energy into the room. 100%. Always. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I want to start with a little interrobang today. And I, I'm so excited and curious to talk to you about your work. And your practice is relatively new. You, you finished school. Mm-hmm like in mid-2018, right? And started your practice in late 2018? 
I started my practice in 2017. Okay, cool. Um, right out of grad school. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And so relatively new, but obviously all of the things that you are specializing in are mm-hmm. things that have been on your mind for a long time. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And so before we get into your work, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, the since you listen to the show, uh-huh. you know that I've been asking people <laughs> yes. this question, and I really want to try to ask as many people uh, as I can this question this year, which is, under what circumstances would you have sex with a robot? Mm. Wow. I I think it would have to be the robot of like a celebrity that I've always wanted oh, cool. to have sex with. God. Like <laughs> um Kate Blanchett. <laughs> oh, great choice. Great. Yeah. yeah, I that's interesting. So like would the robot be programmed to behave like Kate Blanchett? Probably like a little bit like Carol. Also, okay. Probably. Okay. Now, now we're really getting getting into it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you want a mommy bot, <laughs> but like a fit, like a fifties refined, like mommy mommy top. Right. Top. I I think the what I mean by that is like I would be interested in the robot if the robot could be like a character that I've always been really interested in and like being with Kate Blanchett and her role playing Carol would also be fine. <laughs> You're like, I, you know, if that I would take that part of the program. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's really, that's super smart. I like the idea of, of characters. I mean, in some ways, I think we don't recognize enough that a robot is an object and we like personify mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. like really intense ways, like that show, like what people think about women and their experience of sex. Or like, I've often said that I feel like sex robot phobia is actually just bottom phobia in some ways i think we do default to the idea of just like this like prone bottom like lying there and getting like filled with semen or whatever as opposed to the idea that like sentience and free will aside that a robot could uh, could perform a a character and Mm -hmm. and engage you in a scene totally and help you live out a fantasy yeah yeah, that one. <laughs> cool. So what would robot Carol, Kate Blanchett, do? Oh, wow. Just, like, sit across from you at, like, a department store <laughs> cafe and, like, slowly cut her meat <laughs> or cut your meat into small pieces? Uh, I know. See, I, I don't know because we didn't get enough in the movie of how Kate, of how Carol fucks, right? Well, so what do you, I mean, but this is the point of the fantasy <laughs> right. of the sex robot. Like, yeah. how do you think? <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> I'm like sweaty. Um, I think that Carol, I think that Carol is a very loving and tender and stern mm. top. <laughs> cool. And she probably has a lot of things to teach younger girls. <laughs> And really enjoys uh, teaching and being a mentor. Mm-hmm. I, to- <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. 100%. Okay, great answer. <laughs> Thank you. So tell us about your practice. What does it mean for you to be a therapist mm-hmm. and to talk about the ideology and science behind your practice in a way that is respectful of the boundaries of your clients because you're obviously not going to come in here and yeah. be like oh well you know this one client does this and then uh, it, it, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I can talk about themes that mm-hmm. come up. So my training is in trauma and body-oriented therapy. Cool. And before that, as you know, I was a sex educator. And so that is also very much informs the work that I do, but also the people who choose me. So I have found that the clients who seem to be wanting to work with me are survivors, mm. are poly, are kinky, are queer, and are looking for people who have a lot of understanding about that so that they don't have to literally pay to educate their therapist. I've been there. Yes. And and also that does happen and that's okay. I don't think that's a bad thing, Mm. but if you can avoid it, great. Um, Totally. And to know that you're going to be respected for your desires and not pathologized, which is an experience that uh, I think a lot of people can relate to where a desire or a relationship structure is pathologized as being a trauma response. Sometimes it's just not about that, or sometimes it is, and the space needs to be a place where you can talk about that without knowing that your therapist has some sort of like deep feeling that it's all because of your dad or something. Well, and also, if the if the bad feelings that you're having or the depression that you're dealing with or the anxiety that you're dealing with or whatever degree of mental health that you're struggling with does correlate Mm -hmm. to any of those things we need to be able to to talk about them in in ways that are not blaming or pathologizing yeah it it reminds me of the ongoing discourse about sex work representation where we feel pressure to either be the most extremely happy hooker mm-hmm. or we're the damaged goods right yeah. and and it's like i need to be able to talk about having a bad day at work yeah without somebody saying without without a therapist mm-hmm. being like well like this is what this is what you get or you know or like people it's, in my life you know i would yes. like to be able to go to to a therapist and have them talk about the relationship between my work mm-hmm. and anxiety that I might be having. The the reason that you have this is that you like made this really bad choice. So now we need to yeah. like mea culpa for the bad choice, being able to like understand it in a larger right context and, you, and not yeah. de- and not demonizing mm-hmm. the patient. You also wouldn't want your therapist to be like, but sex work is this like radical amazing thing and you're not allowed to have a bad day at work. 100, that's right? exactly so right. So it's like you can have a therapist who's really educated in sex work, but you also want that therapist to be able to hold the complexities of when it's not a perfect day. Right. Like if I come in and say that I had a, a bad day at work or even something that is like more relevant to, to my life now is anxiety around boundaries in social media and like how I like mm-hmm. represent the character of Tina Horn on Instagram or on this podcast versus the privacy that I would like to have that is separate from that and the anxieties that I have around it I also don't want a therapist to say to me I thought you said that sex work was a good thing in your life Mm -hmm. or I thought you said that you like that you really love your work and you like love doing this podcast or you love posting naked pictures of your ass on the internet and yet you're feeling anxiety about it how can you have anxiety about something that you love (laughs) like I've had that experience with therapists and it's fucking it's 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 disorienting yeah no absolutely that comes up in my office a lot with Polly where people are like um, this fucking sucks. Right. And it would be so easy for someone to be like, oh, well, maybe you're monogamous. When it can be like, okay, c- how can we hold all of the things that are really heartbreaking and challenging mm. and difficult about Polly 
and the desire that you had from the beginning to do this and that like yeah maybe this is something that doesn't work for you but I'm not going to be like there's the proof that like this isn't for you your therapist has to be able to hold when it's not a, a good day at work or when the relationship that you're in isn't going well and not jump to those conclusions <laughs> if everybody that was trying out ethical non-monogamy or polyamory or an open relationship had that had a tough time was like well I guess polyamory doesn't work or I guess it's not for me like then we're never gonna actually learn yeah collectively how to navigate these things that come up right yeah and also unhelpful for the therapist to just be like again like but you said that you wanted this and like poly is like the most radical and like feminist way of doing relationships so you aren't allowed to feel this way um you have to be able to hold the nuance so how do you hold the nuance well, I think that's a very feminist thing mm. and also a very – I talk a lot about spectrums and letting mm. go of the binary. So, mm. like, the binary of, like, poly is all good or all bad or sex work is all good or all bad and that, like, things – two things can be true at the same time, which is a feminist idea that I feel like I really came into through that part of my life. And being able to hold that, like, poly, for example, is, like, is really radical and amazing mm. and undoes all of these really harmful relationship ideas. And also there's a lot of feelings that are really challenging that don't come up necessarily with monogamy and it isn't perfect every day. And it's not for everybody, um, mm-hmm. even if you are like a radical feminist dyke, for example. Right. Also, if you like try non-monogamy and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that you're a failure to the cause. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If, like one individual relationship where you find after a period of time that it's not working it yeah it doesn't mean that you are like have like not evolved mm-hmm. yep absolutely mm-hmm. i'm so curious about what the word somatic means within your practice and mm-hmm. you also mm-hmm. mentioned body therapy that doesn't necessarily mean like body work or touch Mm -hmm. right right yeah yeah so the kind of somatic practice that I'm getting trained in is called sensory motor psychotherapy Mm. and it is using our bodies as our greatest tool for healing Mm. and the first way to do that is just to understand how the body works in particular the nervous system and our brains and a lot of times when people especially trauma survivors but i think everybody yeah. for example anxiety and depression those are chemical and physical experiences yeah so you can go to therapy for 10 years and just talk about depression without ever talking about what depression looks like in your nervous system or what it looks like in your body and so it's a lot about understanding that Our bodies are a part of our emotional state and they're not not like just heads floating around. People have found that Xanax is really helpful with panic attacks and Mm. that is a true thing. And also we do have a lot of internal capacities to calm our nervous system, which is just what Xanax does. Right. Um, And so it's not to say that that is not a great solution, but we do contain everything that we need inside of us. And some people need more and that's totally okay. But to start to think about our bodies, especially for survivors, Mm. as a place of healing instead of a place of unsafety. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. That I'm I'm like relaxing just thinking about it. Just just thinking about like that that possibility and it's very comforting to Mm -hmm. know that you have that within you and that Mm -hmm. yeah, that the mind body split 
may be a myth. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think in particular for women and for queer people, that we have to leave our bodies every day to get through the day. Or honestly, humans, like Mm. every human on the subway has to dissociate to deal with being on the subway. Totally. Right. So the therapy is also about becoming embodied again after being taught through sexual trauma or through living in patriarchy and white supremacy that or writing the MTA <laughs> or writing the MTA or all, all of them at once um, that our bodies are not a safe place to be or a good place to be or uh, and I think sex has a lot to do with that right sure <laughs> yeah yeah so what is the relationship between BDSM <laughs> and therapy yeah so many things I think I can speak as a trauma and somatic therapist in particular mm-hmm. about this because it involves the body yeah. and it is a way of BDSM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a way of engaging your body in pleasure, but also in any sort of physical action that feels really healing. Yeah. And which sometimes can be pain or intensity absolutely. or endurance. Just like a therapy session. <laughs> right. Painful and long and hard. Right. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or people have really strong reactions with kink, like crying and mm. release and mm. screaming and mm. the. Somatic- oh, I, love a good, I love a good scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, you're connecting with yourself. You are embodied. It is, mm-hmm. it is perhaps one of the only times that a lot of people get to experience being in their body in a, in a positive way. And it is also very similar to a lot of somatic therapies where you are moving energy through. Mm. Uh, That's in particular kind of a school of thought called somatic experiencing, which is that we become the most traumatized when we we hold in traumatic energy or kinetic Mm. energy. Mm. And so if... And animals are really good at, at this, right? Animals are really good at, like, shaking something off. Right. And humans, we just, like, bear down and hold it, and then it gets trapped. And so I think that kink is a really incredible way of getting to release that energy that does get trapped. I, I like the way that, that you were putting that in terms of kinetic energy because when you when you think about it, not to personify energy, um, mm-hmm. but uh, kinetic energy wants to move, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if you're... If you're like stopping up the dam mm-hmm. of kinetic energy, mm-hmm. if you're putting the finger in the dike of <laughs> kinetic oh <my> energy, <laughs> it makes sense that that would that that would cause uh, wear and tear. That it would cause distress, mm-hmm. um, just like a, a, a river that wants to flow being dammed, and that yeah. you know, if, if you're if you're doing that in a way that is not sustainable, then eventually the levee is going to break. Like right, something is right. going to blow and it might not be in the way that you want it to or mm-hmm, the time that you want mm-hmm. it to. It might not be in a way that you can comprehend or understand or, 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 or fix or it's just like created more issues. Right. Like, so our nervous systems can get stuck in on or off mode. So yeah. on mode is anxiety, anger, hypervigilance, like mm. any sort of very heightened state. And I'm sure we can both think of people who we know who are really trapped in that place. And then there are people who are really stuck in off, which is numb, dissociation, depression. Mm. And that both happens because our nervous systems get trapped in those states when they've had to be that way over and over and over. Mm. And I think just like any kind of body movement, so this can be like yoga or Mm. getting flogged, like that. Or dancing. Or dancing, yes. That 
can engage our nervous systems and bring us out of that state, mm. either calming us or activating us. And I think that kink is a great way to do that. So why why do we get why do we get stuck? Why mm -hmm. <laughs> where does trauma come from? <laughs> yeah. So our nervous systems are always just trying to protect us. When I say they get stuck and they get you know, trapped in on or off, like that is in our best interest, right? So like if you're with someone who is really violent, uh, for example, in like an intimate partnership, yeah, it's not safe for you to have really big reactions back at them because right. that puts you in danger. So then people will get kind of trapped in this numb, frozen place because that's what's safe. Or if people have had to leave situations really quickly, repeatedly, mm. it's in their best interest to be like ready to go at all times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh <laughs> Sorry, I'm really trying not to put myself on the couch right now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I know yeah. I can I I can I can relate. Yes. So that. and that is protective, right? Our bodies are just trying to support us so that we can stay safe. Yeah. And then sometimes when we are able to experience safety, our bodies are not on the same page. So we can cognitively know mm. this person is safe, this person is not gonna hurt me, but our bodies are like, mm, I'm not sold. Um and so there can be a disconnect. Mm. So a lot of engaging our bodies can be helping them understand safety when we may logically know that we're not in the bad place or with the bad person anymore, but our bodies are not in the, just haven't caught up to that yet. Or our bodies have learned to think that it would be better to just remain in that state so that mm -hmm. we won't be fooled again. Definitely. It's all, it's all an adaptation, right? Like our, our bodies are adapting to keep us safe in this world. Why do animals know how to have a parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm, response mm -hmm. when they sense danger and like all the things that we can imagine like different animals doing mm. like their hair raising up and, fr yeah. and freezing like a like a deer frozen in headlights mm -hmm. that's literally what that is right hackles raised like prepared mm -hmm. prepared to dash prepared to fight whatever and then observe and ascertain that there is no immediate threat and like physically like shake it off. Mm -hmm. Why can animals do that, but we can't or like are not as in touch with our ability to do that? Yeah. So is it TV? Did TV <laughs> break us? <laughs> I'm sure that has a lot to do with is it. it. Is it is it capitalism? Right. Could it be <laughs> capitalism? You know, I think it probably has a lot to do with losing practices mm. in our cultures because of colonialism right. i'm sure that had like so there's probably that part of it and then there's also the like more biological part which is that humans have a prefrontal cortex mm. and um mammals don't so we have non we, non human mammals don't. right thank you right, yeah. yes you're still a mammal yeah right, it's true it's true <laughs> see that was my prefrontal cortex talking um where i'm like <laughs> i am evolved but yeah so we have this ability of critical thinking which is a blessing and a curse at the same time so it means we're less in, yeah we're less embodied we're gonna think before we're gonna feel sometimes we're not gonna go with our gut and trust our instincts i think that also has a lot to do with the world that we live in um, being taught not to trust and like listen to our bodies we're, we're not taught we might i think because we have critical thinking skills we have to be taught how to be really in touch with our bodies it's, it's not necessarily going to come naturally although i'm sure that it would in a different society what kind of society? <laughs> oh, God. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, one that is not burdened by white supremacy and patriarchy. Cool. Yeah. That sounds cool. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so okay. So, so there's interpersonal trauma, mm-hmm. and then there's the trauma of colonialism mm-hmm. and patriarchy and yes. heteronormativity mm-hmm. and supremacy and and white supremacy and and that trauma affects everyone differently mm-hmm. lots and lots of people and their bodies are affected by that trauma yeah for some people bdsm has has potential as a practice for healing from that trauma mm-hmm. in addition to being fun Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, totally. like BDSM <laughs> can be can be fun and can be about pleasure for its own sake or human connection for its own sake or connecting with oneself for its own sake. But obviously, BDSM isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do you know that BDSM is right for you, mm. both in terms of potential for pleasure and in terms of potential for healing yeah that's a great question i think that has a lot to do with listening to your body Mm -hmm. and learning how to listen to your body so being able to feel that this like it it feels good it feels releasing knowing what that feels like in your body so that's a lot of mindfulness yeah um of learning what that like physically feels like so like feeling like you deserve that from mm -hmm. yeah your body and from sex and from your relationship that you deserve to seek catharsis and yeah. pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And if you are trying it and it's really doesn't, it's not, doesn't feel releasing or doesn't feel pleasurable, listen to that. Yeah. And I think that's another thing too is like you have to develop the ability to know how to listen to your body. And that does take a lot of time. And I think kink can be a great in mm-hmm. at that for sure. Um, you're experiencing really big emotions and physical sensations. And so you can, for example, like when I get kicked, I feel it in the pit of my stomach and Mm. that feels awesome. When uh, I'm being held down, I feel really secure and safe. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you can, so there is like physical sensations that can happen and, and it's about listening to that. Or if something is like, yeah, nope, I keep trying this thing and like there's this feeling in my gut that's telling me like that this isn't for me, listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think that it's important for people to remember that kink is not a, a monolith and that mm-hmm. and that if you're curious about BDSM and you try one thing and you get that bad feeling in the pit of your stomach, you should listen to that, but mm-hmm. also that doesn't mean that your explorations have to be over. Totally. There could be a different activity. Mm-hmm. You might enjoy topping rather than bottoming or mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. It also might be that your chemistry with that person, many people, their first intercourse or oral sex experiences, like maybe don't feel that great, but they keep trying until right. they find mm-hmm. the person that it feels mm-hmm. good with, hopefully. Yeah, to come at it with curiosity instead of judgment. So, mm. like, mm. trying something out, like, oh, I hated that, and, like, oh, I probably don't, I'm, I'm bad bottom, and I don't like kink, and f- 
fuck, you know, yeah. like, so, <laughs> but to be like, oh, I just learned a lot about myself. I really don't like anal sex. Wow. How fascinating. Like, yeah. I am so curious about what it would be like to do this instead. Yeah. Um, and I think that things can feel a lot more challenging and heavy when we have a lot of judgment about ourselves or like mm. the way that it went. And so I will often say to clients, like, this is an experiment. Like, just like, this is all that is, is like getting more information about this. And just like any scientific experiment, if you change one small mm-hmm. element, you might Great get point. different data. Yes, right. So like to go back to like the anal sex example, right? So being like, oh, wow, that really didn't work for me. Maybe I need to try like using a plug first, right? So like, totally. yeah, change like being very mindful and aware of the different components. Totally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Man, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I feel like it's almost a commonly known mainstream cliche that part of the job of the dominatrix is therapist, right? (laughs) There's like a New Yorker cartoon that used to hang in the wall of the dungeon that I got my start in where there's like a dominatrix in the therapy chair and a guy on the couch and she says and so when did that make you feel like a little bitch or, or <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that right so, it, yeah it. yeah I think we've all seen it right and so yeah, yeah exactly like you know if it's yeah. a New Yorker joke then like uh, this is like hit the mainstream mm-hmm. or the like public intellectual mainstream <laughs> but I can attest to my own experience mm-hmm. as a dominatrix providing therapy and feeling <laughs> aware of that and comfortable with it and also yeah. understanding like the difference between like the kind of emotional labor that I do want to do mm-hmm. through flocking someone, through tying someone up, through mm-hmm. calling someone a little bitch, through sticking them with needles, whatever, or through allowing them to negotiate those doing those things with me. But your role is not about using BDSM as therapy. It's about helping people to understand how BDSM might be therapeutic mm-hmm. in their own yeah. lives. Right. Totally. Right. And also, like we were talking about before, where noticing how things feel with your body, I can, through different somatic practices, help people know how to come back into themselves and Mm. and start paying attention and just noticing like what your arm feels like. Like, what does it feel like to have arms versus just being like, right, like a bobbing head out there in the world? Yeah. And then they can bring that into the room with their play partner. Yeah. So being able to be present in their bodies. And then also I think there's a lot of processing about scenes or dynamics that happen in the room. Which um, is great. Please <laughs> take t- do do that job so that dominatrices can yes. like focus on the flogging. Yes. <laughs> Not that I, I I like a little I like a little processing. Yeah. I have a rate for that. Uh-huh. And so do you. Yes. Yeah. It, it is all the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Can you give me an 
example <laughs> of, I mean, obviously people, uh, you know, should uh, should come to you and hire you. But can, mm-hmm. you, can you give me an example mm-hmm. of a somatic practice t- technique that mm-hmm. you teach in in your work with people? Mm-hmm. I find that a good place to start is just starting to identify where feelings live in our bodies. Mm. So if some if a client comes in and they're like, I'm really stressed about this. Okay, where where is that? Like, mm. where, where does the stress live? And people are usually like, and they'll like grab their chest like right here. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. is it tightening or is it hardening? Like what is the like sensation? Does it have a color? And so just like turning inwards, starting to locate what's happening in your body. So I'm coming in here. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm a little nervous. I'm noticing Mm. my hands are a little sweaty. My feet are a little cold. I have like butterflies in my stomach. So Mm. just, and, and so just like, I have that present. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. So instead of just being like, I'm nervous and excited. Those are the feelings. Right. Being like, wow, this is this is what's happening to my body. Mm. Or for like a client who's in subspace, like what does that physically feel like? Right. Or what's happening inside during those scenes? And that's something that we can talk about in the room. But you have to build the ability to go inside yourself. It it's also a really great like empathy machine for helping people to understand, mm-hmm. helping people who may not have experience with BDSM, who may themselves not be kinky. Yeah. Like you don't have to be into kink to be compassionate about the fact that some people mm-hmm. are kinky mm-hmm. and that we deserve rights and that we deserve space to not mm-hmm. be stigmatized for practicing the things that we do. Yeah. And that it's a really great empathy machine to to embody that feeling and say like mm-hmm. you know that like really pleasurable tingly mm-hmm. feeling on the back of your neck getting spanked gives me that feeling right. or like you know that yeah. um sort of and then this sort of like synesthetic totally allegorical thing that you were talking about with colors for example being mm-hmm. like you know when you have that like purple feeling in your thighs right, like right. that's how i feel when someone calls yeah. me a little bitch. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, and that can be helpful to learn what you like and not just be like, well, I'm this kind of person, so I should like this. Totally. But to start listening to your, listening to your body. That's what yeah. it is. I think something else that comes up a lot is processing the more societal implication of liking certain things. Totally. And letting go of shame. And if your desires bump up against your trauma, getting to have the therapeutic space to process that and help your body understand the difference between the bad thing that happened and the dynamic that you are in. I love that because it makes me think about the distress that people feel about Mm-hmm. something like oh they feel like they watch a lot of porn right there's mm-hmm. all this discussion now about uh, you know it, it is is porn addictive right, uh, are right. you know are people getting messed up sexually because mm-hmm. they're like watching so much porn and masturbating right, right? so like, i talk a lot on this show about the studies that point to the distress about so-called porn addiction coming from yeah somebody's self-regard or like a lack of correspondence between the kind of person that they think that they want to be and like what what their desire is driving them towards and and, yes. and what and what their they think that their behavior says about them right right the the most damaging thing to sexuality is shame mm. and trauma obviously but yeah if we're what's the relationship between trauma and shame oh this is oh god this is so fucking fascinating mm. trauma and shame show up in the body in the same ways God damn it. I know. (laughs) Get get out of there. 
right? So in, in the body, it, it can bring up the same physical reactions. It bring up, brings up the same emotions. It can have similar long-term effects. They're so interconnected. And also, obviously, there's so much shame that comes up with trauma, especially sexual trauma. Yeah. Shame is like one of the biggest parts of healing is, is getting past the shame. So is shame traumatizing yourself? <laughs> Like, when you're shaming right. yourself, right. are you, like, traumatizing yourself in, like, little ways every time you... Mm, yeah. I think it's it's also sort of, like, an in, internalizing of right. abuse, whether it's the abuse of patriarchy or the abuse of an actual abusive person. Yeah. Is, yeah, feeling bad, feeling undeserving, feeling wrong, feeling dirty. It feels like, now, again, now I'm you've got me in this... Now thinking thinking mm-hmm. about thinking about embodiment uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um, has got me in this like allegorical space or figurative language space where I'm like imagining shame being like you're like making a place for trauma to live in your body. Oh wow! It's like you're I, yeah, like you're making mm-hmm. you're like making it feel more at home, which absolutely like we don't we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, so wh- you know, but where does that function? come mm-hmm. from like why why do we why do we feel shame mm-hmm. like why does shame like want to make trauma feel at home is 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 that again going back to what you're saying about is shame kind of like your body trying to make itself feel safe yeah i think a lot of things but in particular if you think about kids and kids who experience trauma so or anything. Kids are so egocentric, mm. which is why they're so freaking cute, is they <laughs> everything is like about them. Right. Which means that if something bad happens, it's their fault. Right. Mm. Which is not true. Mm. <laughs> Usually it's not. And so that's I think that's something that we learn when we're little. Yeah. This is like kind of a segue into how I think age play is like such a important part of healing. And it's, is it's interesting. I was uh, you read <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> there is a kind of therapy that I really like using called parts work where you connect to the younger selves that you have inside of you Mm. and they have ages and sometimes different genders and gosh that sounds like age play yeah it pretty much is um (laughs) but different container right so this is in the the therapeutic space is that related to the sort of like antiquated idea of the inner child like it is it is yeah that's what it is it's inner child work but it's a little more complex where we don't just have one inner child, right? Like, Mm. we can all sound like a 16-year-old. We can all sound like an 8-year-old. We can all go into this very, very young place when we're being held of being a baby. Like, all of us contain these multitudes, right? Yeah. So parts work, which is the kind of therapy I really like using, helps us connect to our younger selves and reparent them or care for them. Mm. So, for example, when we get triggered, sometimes we, adult us, are not triggered. It is our younger self that's triggered. Right. And then that little eight-year-old is so scared and that fear gets so big that then we, that's all we feel and we lose our adult self. So in that's that. when you have to be your own daddy. Or mom. God damn it, that's when you have to be your own your daddy. Or that's auntie. Right. Or uncle. Yep. Or just kind yes. older caregiver. We have to you have to be your own be your own caregiver. Yes. So that's another overlap, I think, between kink and therapy. And they are really different because that is building an inner capacity for you to be able to care for yourself. And it's not particularly sexual. Mm. Not that age plays always sexual, obviously, but sure. um so th- that is different. And you can bring that 
into a dynamic. Um, for example, I think probably exploring parts work would help people connect to their little. I'm sure that that would be helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is the benefit? I mean, I, I don't mean to, to sound dismissive. That mm-hmm. that that is that is awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's nice to think that we all do have a little that we might want to mm-hmm. engage in 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 various ways. Yeah. A little persona, like a persona that is younger than the age that we are now. Right. What is the benefit? Of bringing sex into it, obviously, mm-hmm. like we, it's, yeah. it's important. It's important for us to talk, especially like both of us, like being professionals, talking about this in, in this way where it's like age play doesn't have to be sexual. We can talk about it in a kinky way, but you can also talk about this in your therapeutic practice, which totally. like does not involve sexuality. Mm-hmm. But what is the benefit yeah. of bringing? sexuality Mm -hmm. into it arousal or genital stimulation Mm -hmm. or orgasm Mm -hmm. or uh you know other kinds of yeah sexuality like either solo or with a partner or with a group right this is when there's a very clear distinction between my job and a play space yeah or a play partner as much as i talk about sex in the room like there is no sex happening or and a lot of the times with inner child or parts work, we're not talking so much about sex. It's more about caretaking, survival responses, and trauma. Yeah. So that is like, that is the container. Yeah. And then the other container is like little space or a daddy-girl dynamic or a mommy-girl dynamic. Yeah. And then sex can be very healing. First off, it's caretaking. It's just a different kind of caretaking. It's a caretaking I can't do as a therapist um, and don't want to. Babysitter, daddy, mommy can care for you in this physical way. Um, Also, we all have, we all in this world have sexual trauma from being raised in a shaming, Mm. heteronormative, body shaming uh, society. And so if you, if you're like little gets to feel um, like it's okay to like girls, right? Mm. Um, or it's okay to want to have sex, right? That heals that younger part of us that, mm. and shame, we talk about healing shame. I think that is like such a good in to healing shame is because shame starts when we're, when we're little. Yeah. It's a really old feeling. Ugh, it does. It uh-huh. feels so old and yeah. outdated. Uh-huh. It feels stale. Uh-huh. But when you're hungry, you like still eat the stale chips in the pantry. Also to say that, (laughs) right, shame is like stale. But it, again, it serves a purpose. And so this is another thing that's really important is that all all feelings serve purposes. So shame Mm. is what helps us understand what's okay in society and what's not okay. And not in like a women are supposed to be like this, not like that. But like, right, it's not okay to interrupt somebody when they're like presenting on something, for example. You would feel shame. So it serves a purpose. We're not trying to throw away shame. I think a lot of people could use a little more shame. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Like the idea of people who are shameless, perhaps a man who will shamelessly interrupt your lecture mm-hmm. to say, I don't really have a question. It's more yeah. of a comment. Right? Devil's like, advocate here. <laughs> yeah, right, Need right. So that's, so that's the function yeah, right. of shame in the same way that stereotypes mm-hmm. are actually seen neutrally are actually like a psychological function that like helps us to understand the world and and that we need to be critical of our propensity to stereotype in certain ways. But it would be foolish to think that the project is not stereotyping, which is why the whole idea of like, I don't see color is like, uh, right. Totally Mm -hmm. a folly. Mm -hmm. Cause, cause we do. It's like about what we, what we think, Mm -hmm. in, in, in what ways are we like stereotyping and associating? Yeah. So these things serve a purpose. Yeah. How can health professionals improve their best practices 
for giving care to all the kinds of people who listen to the show and that the show mm-hmm. is about and for and I know that there is like an hour long answer to each of these, mm-hmm. but to, you know, best practices for giving care to queer people, giving care to kinky people, mm-hmm. giving care to different kinds of sex workers, giving care to non-monogamous people, giving care to sluts. Are there some just like basic ways mm-hmm. that best practices can be improved or even just like what is your hope as a therapist with a, a relatively new practice and like a lifetime of, of a yeah. of a practice ahead of you? Like what, what are your hopes for how things are, are going to change, yeah. can change? I think the biggest suggestion slash hope is that we stop pathologizing people. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing to keep trauma in the room. So like if someone comes in and they're like, I have this desire, I don't think it's unfair to hold someone's life experiences next to that. But instead of it being like, this is 100% because of part of the DSM or this part of your childhood, Mm. um, I really hope that we stop (laughs) doing that. So that's what you mean by pathologizing, Mm -hmm. like the idea that if somebody comes in and says, I love to be spanked erotically and I was spanked as a child, being like, well, you like to be spanked erotically because you were spanked Mm -hmm. as a child. Which might be true. Also. It might. It might. It might be. Be true. (laughs) Right. And this is also like something that a lot of feminist psychoanalysis have done really great work around, which Mm. is that we have no idea what a psychically healthy woman looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, And that's Karen Horney. She was an incredible psychoanalyst. And we never will. Yeah. Right. And so desires don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And so saying that. So throwing that out is not helpful also. But then saying that that's the only reason why is just it's also just like not true. Right. Like we have sensory receptors over our whole body. Being spanked feels good because it like I don't have to tell you this, Tina. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it like we Hmm, curious. Interesting. Right. Like things happen like vibration happens in like very sensitive parts of our body. So like there's that. And then there's also the more emotional side to it feeling owned or feeling not in control punished like these are all things that like do feel good and yes is it probably partially because of the world that we live in yeah isn't everything um and so it's not helpful to be like once we heal your daddy issues you won't want to get spanked anymore like Mm. how boring also um and also if someone is like yeah i want to do that great that's fucking up to them yeah if you want to work through kinks that don't sit with you that's okay too yeah totally i use spanking as an example for obvious reasons that my <laughs> listeners including you are all familiar with but uh <laughs> but also because I, I i feel like it is a very sort of versatile you know allegorical yeah. example mm-hmm. like some people who are into erotic spanking we could draw a connection between the fact that they were spanked as as, mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. There are people who are into being spanked erotically because they weren't spanked. Right. There are people who never even thought about corporal punishment mm-hmm. before they became adults who are into it for any number of reasons. It, it's really about like not only like pathologizing someone and being like, well, it, like drawing like a fo- mm-hmm. like a false correlation. Yeah. It's not useful. Right. Especially like if somebody's coming in and they're saying, I'm distressed because I'm really turned on by being spanked. And that disturbs me Mm -hmm. because it's a a way that I was punished unconsensually when I was a child. Right. Like the issue, it sounds to me, Mm -hmm. you're the professional. You tell me that like the issue that we're trying to learn to focus on is where is that distress coming from? Not. Yes. Treating like trying to like Mm -hmm. unlearn that association or saying like, well, that association is 
is bad and we're trying to get it so that you don't have that desire anymore, mm-hmm. which good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right. And for some people learning and unpacking and being like, it's okay to want these things. It's okay to have desires that mirror your trauma or mirror other people's trauma is enough. And they're like, oh, well, shit. Okay, cool. I'm kind of into that. Yeah. And like, I'm cool. With that. And some people are like, okay, yeah, I have like thought about how it's okay to have this desire and I'm done shaming myself, but I really don't want to have this kind of sex actually. And I would mm. like to like reprogram myself a bit. Right. And that's okay too. How do you reprogram people, mm. Andrea? <laughs> Oh, God. Again, that has a lot to do with the body, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've only ever had sex that was non-consensually, has some sort of power dynamic, and you want to let that go. I'm thinking in particular about a lot of clients, and I'm comfortable saying myself as well, who Mm. had to, like, unlearn heterosexuality. That's a real (laughs) fucking thing, right? You have to unlearn dynamics and being automatically submissive, Mm. not voicing your desires, Mm -hmm. being able to state what you want, being able to say no. And so that is an unlearning of everything we are taught about sex. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be a similar avenue for some people who are like, yeah, I have this fantasy, but I don't want to have this fantasy. It's like, where does it come from? Where did you first learn this? Wow, God, I guess this comes from this, like from when I was little. Or what is it about this that makes me uncomfortable? And maybe it's about healing more emotional trauma and then the fantasy goes away i think that's okay like that we have to have room to talk about sometimes like kinks we have we don't want to yeah um and that it's it is healing to let go of those and find other ways of being cool Mm -hmm. so sort of flip side of that question Mm -hmm. is what can queer people kinky people sluts sex workers or people with experience in the sex industry, survivors. Mm -hmm. Do you have tips for how folks with non-normative desires and identities can better advocate for themselves with their Mm -hmm. care providers? Yes. Uh, So the first thing I want to say about that is if you are someone who lives somewhere like New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, there are so many wonderful queer kink and poly affirming therapists and you do not have to settle yeah for someone who isn't insurance is a huge barrier for that but i will say that there are really incredible agencies that are very good at training their clinicians to be affirming to those identities um, so they are out there for example like in new york callum lord mm-hmm. icp is another really great clinic that takes a bunch of insurance you deserve to have a therapist who understands your life you deserve to not have to take on the, the role of educator with your therapist totally. it's okay to end a therapeutic relationship if it's not serving you yeah also if it's not serving you because you don't like the kind of therapy that's another thing that i think is so so you are interviewing the therapist right hmm. what are your what are your views about this on sex on relationships on queerness but also like what is the kind of therapy that you do because all therapists really do use different types yeah. of ways of thinking and have different training so figure out like what what you want to get out of this yeah. um, so feeling empowered enough to do that versus like Okay, well, I guess this is, like, good enough. This person is the authority, so uh, they must be right, or I, exactly. I need to, like, yeah. keep going along with this. No, and that ta- that is, like, very hard to unlearn. Um, so mm. I think that. And then if you're somewhere that is where there are less availability for 
therapists who are educated in these things. Again, you're deserving of your therapist understanding your life. And so if you feel comfortable to provide resources, it is on your therapist to educate themselves if they're going to get to work with you, which is they should be so lucky, right? So if you're in a For example, not that all rural places don't have therapists who are educated in these things. I think it is harder. Then it's okay to say in your intake, I hold these identities. And if you read these books and have these understandings, then we can work together. Nice. And that does require a lot of work on your part, which isn't fair. But it is just sort of the reality in that you shouldn't have to compartmentalize yourself. We have to do that so much in our day-to-day life. And therapy should not be a place where you have to hold different parts of yself I love. I love the idea of everybody going into a new into their first session with a new therapist mm-hmm. with a syllabus <laughs> totally I, I don't, and and actually probably that is a great mm-hmm. practice to suggest like even if you're not currently in therapy like mm-hmm. what what syllabus would you give yeah a new therapist mm-hmm. or your current therapist like what yeah. books do you feel like people should read before they start working with you. Yes, absolutely. And also if like that is still limiting or if you're in a country where like it's not safe to disclose Mm. certain Mm. parts of your sex life, therapists will work with you remotely, right? So like I'm very happy to work with people who are in a place where they just don't have access or it's not safe to talk about different parts of their sexuality or gender. So just finding someone, there are a lot of people who are very willing to work with you over the phone or over Skype. You deserve to have someone who understands your life and isn't going to shame you. Fuck yeah. Because <laughs> shame makes weird places in your body for trauma to live. Yeah. Andrea, thank you so much for talking about your thank practice you, today. We are going to do a why are people into that now? So if folks are listening to this in Bang and they want to hear more from Andrea, look for that in your feeds. And where can people find out more about your practice? Yes. Folks can visit the therapy collective that I'm a part of online at gstherapycollective.com. And folks can also find me on this very incredible listing of queer, kink, and poly-affirming clinicians. It's called ManhattanAlternative.com. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at SomaticWitch. Oh, yes. (laughs) Your Instagram has been popping lately. I do a lot of screenshotting and then, like... That's a practice that I have when I'm disassociating on the subway is like <laughs> listening to music and then like flipping through like things that I've screenshot. And if I've like screenshot some awesome advice about attachment theory from your Instagram, then I'll like read it and like really mm-hmm. like sit and contemplate it oh, for a little I while like that. on the on the subway. Yes. Yeah. So and that's somatic witch mm-hmm. on yep. Instagram. Yes. And then it's. The Gender and Sexuality Therapy Collective, which is in Manhattan, which is where I practice. And then the very beautifully lengthy list of other therapists like me is ManhattanAlternative.com. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.